Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Joe, I want to jump right in because we have uh, we have about uh, what we have one segment with Father Kolodichuk. Um, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Kolodichuk. And we're going to be discussing... Joe and I say all the time we go into the breach, okay? okay? But today we're going to be talking about Mother Teresa. And if you want to be talk, if you want to talk about going into the breach, well, I can't think of a, I can't think of a better person to have a conversation about. So uh, I just want to give Father a brief introduction, and we're going to be talking about a new film. Uh, Father, is it out or is it coming out? It's coming out. It'll be in theaters on October third and fourth. And I believe after that, people can buy the DVD from Ignatius Press. Awesome. From Ignatius Press. And the film is Mother Teresa, No Greater Love. Father Kolodichuk, uh, PhD, is the postulator of the cause of beatification and canonization of Mother Teresa of Calcutta and the director of the Mother Teresa Center. He edited and wrote the commentary for the book Mother Teresa, Come, by, Come Be My Light published by Doubleday on September 4th, 2007. Born in Winnipeg, Canada, uh, Father Brian obtained a BA in philosophy from St. Michael's College of the University of Toronto in 1977 and in, in philosophy from the University of Manitoba in 1981. He received uh, his um, theology degree from St. Joseph Seminary Dunwoody in New York in 1985 and went on to obtain a PhD in organizational psychology from Saybrook Institute, San Francisco in 2001. Father has a 20-year association with Mother Teresa that began in 1977 when he joined a new group of others. She was then Father Brian Kolodichuk. Welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you. Good to be here. Excellent, Father, Joe. Begin with a prayer, please, and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes. Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time that you brought us together. Inspire us by your Holy Spirit, that we do everything, as Mother Teresa liked to say, for the glory of God and the good of the people, so that we might be your instruments, especially spreading your light, your fire of love, to all those whom we meet and serve. Let us ask Our Lady's intercession as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now in the hour of our death. Amen. Father, I was fortunate enough to see the movie. Um, your publicist in Atlanta gave me a copy. I was very impressed with it, to be honest with you. Clearly, the Knights of Columbus did a fantastic job. Many things jumped out at me as I watched the film. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is one of your fellow MC priests. If I butcher his name, please forgive me. I'm an Italian man from New Jersey, and pronunciation is not my strong suit. Uh, Father V. 
Vittorio Vittorio Filetti. Filetti. There we go. There we go. And I would have got it right, Joe. He would have. He would have. I'm not. I'm not the guy. That's my bad. That's. I'm not good at it. Um, yeah, he's from Malta, actually. He said this in the film, and this jumped out at me. He said, "Mother does not just help the poor; she helps the poorest of the poor." And that jumped at me for of you know a number of reasons. One, I've worked with the sisters. I've worked with them in Haiti. I've worked with them in New York and San Francisco. I've worked with them in Calcutta. I don't think Americans understand the material poverty that you guys are dealing with. And I, I want you to just elaborate on that a little bit, because it's not just like what we see. We have poverty here. It's mostly spiritual poverty, but it's a completely different deal. Uh, OK, from the beginning, mothers and the sisters did focus on the material poverty. And as you say, not just the poor, but the poorest of the poor. Because in Loretto, when she was teaching, one of the sisters told her, well, why are you leaving? Because you're already serving the poor. She was on the Bengali medium. They taught in Bengali for the poor girls. But Mother Teresa said, no, I'm actually going to the poorest. The other ones who are really on the street don't have anything or anyone. And so that was the focus until uh, starting in the late 60s, 70s. Then the sisters started going to the West, you know, the first world. North America, Europe, Western Europe. And then Mother Teresa realized, as she would often say, the greatest poverty in the world today is to be unloved, unwanted, uncared for, loneliness. And that's everywhere. Could be richer people, could be middle class, and also the materially poor can be spiritually poor in that way too. So the, the mother's understanding of poverty uh, broadened as she had more experience, especially in the West. I think that's an important point to make, Father Brian Kolodichuk, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Is I see it, and I work, um, I work in the restaurant industry. That's my day job, so to speak. I, I see a lot. Of, I and I used to be a stockbroker. I've seen a lot of wealthy people. I think it's an important message that you know what your bank book could be fat as fat could be, and you and I've seen it firsthand. And you're a lonely person. You 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 are poor. It doesn't matter if you drive a Maserati. Okay, um, there's no connection. There's no there's no connection. You I mean Mother Teresa's going in to help? Joe told me stories about Calcutta. I, I I never heard that before. I mean, you see pictures on TV and stuff like that. Joe's seen it with his own eyes. Um, but there's a certain, um, I, I guess you would call it, Father, a paradox here. Uh, Jan. That, that, that I found uh, pushed me back a little bit. Mother was completely free. I find in a world that looks at someone like Mother being somebody who's in the Catholic Church and, you know, uh, just some yeah. obedient little woman listening to, listening to some old crusty men in, in Rome. No, that woman was free. I want you, Father, to expand on that and explain the freedom that Mother exhibited in her life. Okay. Well, it's very interesting because Mother Teresa understood, you know, the traditional vows of religious life, chastity, poverty, and obedience to be, first of all, a way of showing love, a way of freedom before it was sacrifice. Yes, there's things to be sacrificed, but it was uh, to be free to love. And, uh, you know, sometimes she would say, uh, yes, you know, uh, possessing nothing, but yet and that's another the paradox so 
She was very free. She didn't have, well, very little uh, material things that were really her own. And yet she had people helping her this way, that way. So she really did. She was free to really trust surrender. That's what we call the spirit of the society or the spirit of the missions of charity is loving trust and total surrender. That's the little way of St. Therese, actually. Different it, vocabulary, but same thing. It's one of the constant themes on our shows that one of the major problems, Joe mentioned spiritual poverty in America. One of the major problems is those, those in our culture who would sell you freedom they're putting you in chains. Mm -hmm. Those who are, are or who say, "Hey, you know, we should rethink how we live our lives. Maybe discipline ourselves a little bit. Have some moral boundaries." Th those are the people. The Catholic Church, all right. Th that's true freedom. I've seen it myself too. And my my little work I used to do up in the Bronx with the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. I see. I saw men who were completely free. They don't bog themselves down with mm -hmm. all the nonsense. And Mother Teresa, obviously is a paragon of that. Yeah, that's the paradox that, you know, or say like another example would be the Cistercians or the Trappists. You know, they have a tight schedule morning to evening and they have to do this and do that. And yet they're the freest men. Absolutely. Because, so we're uh, talking about the new film that's uh, that's coming out October 3rd, October 4th. It's going to be in theaters. Mother Teresa, No Greater Love, Father Brian Kolodichuk <laughs> joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe, Joe Rasinello, where do you want to go? Father, I mean, the name of the game is to change hearts. I mean, Christ came for sinners and to change them through love. And I have seen this firsthand in my life. Um, I worked with the sisters at the Gift of Love for seven years. Um, mostly I was their driver, but I did just about everything they asked me to do. I know right. all the guys there, Gene, Father Don, the whole night. Oh, yeah, yeah, Gene, yeah. Um, all of which are in the film. Um, I've seen like the guys that came through that house, I mean, who had HIV, they've gotten it every which way you could possibly imagine. Um, some guys were in prison, um, street guys. I mean, these are not like, you know, you know, they're not like fibbing, you know, serious stuff, you know, sins. And they were changed. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, one of them read at my wedding. I was married at St. Veronica's next to oh, the okay. house. Oh. So, I mean, like, I've seen this with my eyes. And I think th their model, your model, is the way to touch people. Because to be truthful with you, we have the best story in town. It's Jesus Christ, the fullness of the truth. But people aren't listening. And it's holiness that opens people's ears and then they listen. And I've watched this and I'm convinced that's the model. Please talk about this and talk about some of the stories that you have witnessed, because I know you knew, Mother. I'm sure that you have seen, because I have in the small time that I've worked with the sisters, changes in people that you never thought would happen. Oh, yeah. No, that's, uh, you know, the gift of uh, love down in, in uh, lower Manhattan is a great example, because you know, uh, uh, I think yeah, Jan Petrie and the uh, film says mother and sisters we don't judge people yeah we know that they've come all kind of many sinful lives or whatever but as you say the best way is just that unconditional love and mercy and that changes hearts just like Jim Wahlberg in the film his story too you know after mother came to the prison he said I want to know about the God that she's talking about 
and that, not that, the one and he, that he was grew in, up with. And like you said, he lived a pretty rough life. He was in oh jail. yeah, twelve years old. He was a ward of the state already. You know, it's interesting you bring him up because I've I've listened to interviews with him. Uh-huh. He was Catholic, and he almost in the film he's like, I want to know that Jesus. Right. You have right. to do a better job, Father. I mean, like as a church, me, mm-hmm. me, I have to do a better job. Yeah. Um, because that is an interesting statement by a Catholic. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I'm I'm young enough not to know really what was pre-Vatican II, and and uh, you know I think some pe- preachers would would go give a parish mission and they put a skeleton uh, somewhere near the, the ambo, and and a lot of it was by fear, and they discovered that that doesn't work, and uh, you know then at post-Vatican II we went the other way. And it was all love, 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 and no, you know, God is just a nice guy, and you can do anything. So we have to, you know, the the virtuous, as Aquinas would say, is in the middle. So somewhere between those two extremes, but the emphasis certainly is, and that's how, you know, the sisters and mother had ef- effect on people, was because they were non-judgmental, but and the people knew that they were loved for who they were, and not because of the or whatever. And uh, love is the, the way in the world. From when we joined you, we're discussing Mother Teresa, new film out, Mother Teresa. Father, I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit. I think that's that's something I encounter in my life with, with other people. Um, uh, talk to our audience about the 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 balance between let's say being non-judgmental it's very easy to judge joe mentioned men with aids okay in the in the film i believe there was a brazilian drug addict okay oh, yeah yeah crackle yeah she was helped by the sisters they yes, now yeah. you could judge someone who is leading a destructive life objectively okay and 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 help that person i in that case, any one of us can be judged. Uh, you know, we all have our things, our sins mm-hmm. that we struggle mm-hmm. with. Okay. Talk about, because like you, you alluded to it a little bit. I'd like for you to expand on it. On the one hand, it's, it's so much judgment and, and seem very little love. On the other hand, it seems like, well, it's, it's, it's just love without any kind of like judgment. What is the proper balance for a Roman yeah, Catholic? I think, yeah. I mean, yeah, we have to accept that God loves me now as i am and he can't love me anymore but he also that love also means that he wants what's best and better for me so he doesn't leave me just where i am and say oh yeah okay just go on i love you so go ahead sin all you want so that's not it either because that's not for our good and it won't get us to heaven either so but yes we're loved unconditionally he can't we can't do anything to make make God love us more, but he wants more for us. And that's how we keep growing. And we, you know, the, the aim of missionaries of charity is to labor at the salvation and sanctification of the poorest of the poor. So Thank it's not just, to, not just to get people into the, to just kind of scrape and scratch into heaven, but no, real holiness, sanctification, that's the goal. Thank you for that. Fire, Father Brian Kolodichuk joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Resinello. Well, as I watched the film, I thought of St. Francis. Um, 
<laughs> that spiritual uh his his spirituality means a lot to me and i loved his simplicity I, I can remember seeing a movie he was like we're going to rome to see pope innocent the third they were like well do you have a charter he's like my charter is to live the gospel there is my charter that was mother Teresa's charter and mm -hmm. i think there lies the secret we overcomplicate things. We simply do. And she turned the world upside down. She was like, I'm going to live the gospel. I'll give you an example of that. I can remember I used to drive in from Jersey. I would go in downtown. And I used to pass these guys. They used to collect cans by the West Side Highway. And I told the sisters at the house, I'm like, these, there's, there's tons of people. They're just living there and they're collecting cans. They were like, well, let's go. They got in my car, we served them sandwiches, we served them lemonade, and talked to them. That's it. We didn't have to have a committee. We didn't have to have a meeting. We didn't have a PowerPoint presentation. We just did it. Talk about the simplicity of living the gospel. That's what Mother Teresa did. Yes, no, I agree. And that's, uh, you know, the, one of the appealing things of the sisters, especially, is that simplicity. And as you say, there's no big meetings and there's no PowerPoints. So there's a need and Mother Teresa would meet it. So for example, AIDS in the mid eighties, you know, the, and the, it's in the film where uh, they, because I remember I was in the, we were, so we started the father's in the Bronx. So we were living in 83 to 88 in the Bronx. So I remember the opening of uh, the, the home for AIDS patients and uh, there, uh, there was a uh, first, they were going to be further up in Harlem, but the neighbors react because, well, we don't want AIDS people around here. And then the same problem down. But, uh, and so mother saw a need and she, and she went to meet it. And so they were the first to start an AIDS home in the United States. And uh, with simple means. And so, you know, the mother, she said, like to say, you know, sm small things, great love. Ordinary things, extraordinary love. And it's the love with which you do things that makes them of value, or at least supernatural value. Well, F Father, one of the things that Joe and I like to try to emphasize to all our Catholic brothers and sisters out there, and anyone else who will listen, you know, you're talking about, let's say, for, you know, what we, I think Joe is alluding to it, you are, what we can do ourselves, okay? But, and you, the need to spread that love, to, to, to live the gospel, but there obviously is a need for grace, okay? We can't do anything. I mean, okay, I could give a guy 10 bucks on the street, okay? But it doesn't take much grace to be able to do that. You're talking about, you know, a, a, a supernatural gift from God to be able to go out and do his will. Mm -hmm. Talk about, uh, because, you know, we, like I said, we hammered this home because obviously it's a problem in our church, particularly in America. The need for the sacraments, the need, you know, God puts the grace on the table and we leave it there. 30% of American Catholics don't believe in the, or 70% of American mm -hmm. Catholics don't believe in the real presence. <clears throat> don't go to adoration. Okay. I'm guilty of that too. I need to go to adoration a lot more often. Okay. But confession, Eucharist talk about if, if, if yes, we're pro we may be right now inspiring people to want to, to do something, to volunteer with a local order or with your parish or whatever, but talk about the need to get the grace first father to get in, get yes. okay. into so the sacraments. So, for example, in the chapter in Lumen Gentium, Vatican II document on holiness, they first had a paragraph. It was okay. It was focused on what we're supposed to do. And then they realized, hey, wait a minute. 
uh, we were something missing. So they had to add a paragraph before that one and stressing how we have before we can give it. And that's why Mother Teresa herself said, you know, maybe someone can do this for some months, a year, maybe two, wow, but not a whole lifetime. Because, uh, you know, uh, Mother said, I couldn't, without the Mass, without the Eucharist, I couldn't do this. And the same, same for us. We, we need to receive before we can give. It's something I like use the example, you know, like a little kid, you know, three years old, wants to give a gift to the parent because it's a birthday or something. Well, they don't have any money. So they have to ask the parents for some money so that they, go, they can go buy a gift for that parent. So it's something like that. You know, we need to <laughs> receive it, first of all, before we can give it back to God and our brothers and sisters. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I know from my own personal experience, Father Brian Kolodichuk joining us here at the front line with Joe <clears> and Joe, <throat> I, I can't walk down the street. I, I mean, I have when 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 I have when I again we all struggle at times, okay. And when I'm struggling sometimes or uh, haven't been to confession, where I can't walk down the street without having a problem, okay. I can't go to work. I can't relationships, you know, are strained. There was, and I know that the only when things are going well, it's because yeah, I say to myself, that's right. I went to confession. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I I I you know, let's say sat in adoration. Uh, I prayed my rosary. OK, mm -hmm. and all the things that we need to do, because at the end of the day, yes, Mother Teresa was in the trenches. She was in the breach. OK, serving the poorest of the poor. But she got that grace first. Yes. And all the means you just said, they're the simple, ordinary means. She didn't have to do anything extraordinary. A daily mass, daily adoration, holy hour, the rosary, the prayer. But that, that's for everyone. We don't have to. I mean, she didn't do extraordinary things. They said ordinary things, extraordinary love. And so, yeah, it's uh, things in the end are quite simple. Yeah, I was just going to say, it goes back to, it goes back to simplicity. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, sometimes I say there's, there's kind of simplicity and then there's simplicity on the other side of complexity, which is to say, you know, I remember in Rome, there was one sister having difficulty and they, she talked with mother and she, mother just said very simple uh, solution, but she wasn't there yet. So the, you have to sometimes complexity. I mean, you have to go and struggle and and you know grow in self knowledge and make the effort to overcome a habitual sin or whatever it is. And then on the other side of that, which is also with grace, of course. But then there's a simplicity that you know I've gone through all those things, and now, uh, like Mother Teresa in the last years, she was very simple. And she did very simple things. And, but she had, I mean, the, you know, the come be my light and other things we know now, uh, she really had to go through purification, first of all, and then it just heroic faith and pure faith. And uh, so that's the other thing, you know, she had to be really, as, as all the saints who, who are really reaching holiness, you have to be emptied out because you'd say not even God can fill what's already full. So you know, there's that whole asceticism of, of you know, um, getting out of oneself or letting go of oneself to be allow God to give us that love and charity and all the other virtues. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Father. And I think that speaks to that freedom we were talking about earlier. Yeah, also, too. yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe Resinello. I think that's important to note 
her simplicity as in she was a normal person. I can remember uh, watching the firing line with William Buckley, an interview with her. She was just totally like I was waiting to hear some like enlightened thing. It was just totally normal. Like, in fact, I think Buckley was disappointed, <laughs> like, to be careful. <laughs> he just wasn't going to get what he thought. Neither did yeah, I. And, yeah. and also, I listened to an interview with a sister, Paisy, who is started a new community. She was a, a missionary, a charity oh, okay. order in Haiti. And, and she said something I thought was interesting to highlight what you said. She was like, I was with mother in D.C. and, you know, all the media and the politicians. And she's like, I don't understand this. She's just a simple, normal person. And why do I bring this up? Because she emptied herself. She allowed God to fill. You see, we could do that. We can do that. She wasn't some MIT graduate. She wasn't Thomas Aquinas or Bonaventure or Augustine. She was normal. She just prayed. She would say that. That's my secret. And I think that should encourage people because we can do that, Father. Talk about that because that's well, that's a secret. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I think Pope Benedict made this comment that all the saints or the big saints of the especially 20th century are all simple people. St. Therese, Fatima Children, uh, Mother Teresa, with the exception of John Paul II. But uh, God, especially in our time, in our complicated time, he chooses uh, least likely and simple instruments. So that it's very clear that it's not us. And Mother Zaseo, you know, uh, this is, it's God's work. It's not me. I'm just a, I'm just a pencil. And, uh, you know, but to be emptied of self enough to be, you know, to be allowed to be used in, in that sense, to be the pencil, uh, it takes some purification, first of all, and then constant growth and grace and, and growth in all the other virtues. So think, think about the, uh, think about the example or, or the, the effect, Father Brian, that Mother Teresa had on oh, Joe and I talk about it all the time on Malcolm Muggeridge. Oh yes. Talk, talk about talk about you know the 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 the, the, the what he must have seen when he went there and did his film. Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. what fifty years ago. Okay? Sixty eight or sixty nine somewhere in there. To pierce the heart of an intelligent atheist like that to mm -hmm. convert to the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And 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 this is what I mean. Like we problem is, Father, and I love your comments on this. We're we're coming up almost to the end of the show, but we talk Joe and I on our show. We we do a lot of political commentary, cultural commentary. All right, people are looking in the wrong places if you really want change. As you two are alluding to, the change starts with you, yeah, exactly, and then emanates out. Mm -hmm. And that's what actually solves a lot, not all, but a lot of the problems that most of the time, let's face it, Father Brian, are self imposed. Particularly, oh, yeah. Mother Teresa is the one who said, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, okay, there will never be peace in the world as long as we don't protect children in the womb, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, simplicity, but yet people need to hear it because they're not thinking along those lines. Talk about how, just how much of an effect it has when people see Catholics acting the way Catholics should and how that can have a positive impact, not just on other Catholics, but on society writ large. Yeah, I mean, Mother Teresa and the other people like her are excellent examples because there was something, you know, just somehow radiated from Mother Teresa 
although she herself did not feel and enjoy that presence of Jesus within her, but she was radiated. You know, she had a certain presence, just like John Paul II. And, uh, you know, I heard of a, someone just saw her and that was enough to change his life. Never mind just, you know, meeting or talking. And, uh, you know, and one time that she was in Rome where I was, well, I was way early when I was still with the Contemplative Brothers. And Henry Nowen, a great spiritual writer, uh, was with the North American, he was staying at the North American College. And then he, oh, Mother Jesus is here. So he had one hour interview and he was explaining whatever his issues were. And at the very end, Mother said, I think you need to do a daily holy hour. <laughs> that was her solution. Very simple, daily holy hour. Father Brian, I'm sorry we have to leave it there. It's a great half hour. Next half hour, we're going to have on David Naglieri. We're going to be talking about the film further. He's one of the filmmakers. Father, where are, when's the movie coming out again in the title yes, of the movie? Uh, it's October 3rd and 4th, Mother Teresa, No Greater Love. And uh, hopefully everyone can go to the theaters. And if not, then after that, they should find it at the Ignatius Press DVD. Absolutely. Father Brian Kolodichuk, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure welcome. to have you on. It was, talk a, about it was a good joy, a nice joy to be with you. Absolutely. You're welcome back on this show anytime, Father. So thank you again. Thank you. And thank you all out there for joining us. Stick around. We have David Naglieri, one of the filmmakers of Mother Teresa, No Greater Love, coming up in the next segment. Uh, so stick around. We'll be right back at the front line with Joe and Joe. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, and we are on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, and we are way in the breach. Uh, if you were with us in the last half hour, we were talking with Father Brian Kolodichuk uh, about the new film uh, that's going to be out on October 3rd and 4th, Mother Teresa, No Greater Love. Now we're going to continue that conversation uh, with David Naglieri. Uh, who is the writer-director of the film. And some of you may be familiar with David. If not, I'm going to give a brief introduction. David is an Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker and television producer. He's renowned for his 2016 feature-length documentary, Liberating a Continent, John Paul II and the Fall of Communism, which earned five Emmy nominations. The production was labeled a documentary masterpiece by First Things Magazine. Other short films in his catalog include The Face of Mercy and Guadalupe, The Miracle and the Message. 
Unbreakable, a story of hope and healing in Haiti. John Paul II in America, uniting a continent and others. David holds a master's degree in international relations from BU, that's Boston University, for those of you outside of the Northeast, and a bachelor's degree in history from Marist College. David Naglieri, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Hey, awesome. Thanks so much for having me on and for that very kind uh, introduction. You're welcome. Uh, with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe. David, I got to be honest, um, when we were back and forth before the show, I was waiting for some crusty old Italian guy from Connecticut, but you're not him. You're a young guy, and that's great. Thank I you. love it. I love Thank to you. see young Catholic faces, I honestly, and I say that. That's awesome. I don't feel so young. I'm in, I'm in my 40s now. But No, uh, you look you look like you're in your 30s, honest to God. And, and to Thank be you. truthful with you, um, you know, being a young man and looking at the work that Joe just read, I mean, clearly you've been impacted um, by your faith, um, by the church. Um, how'd you get there? You know what I'm saying? Because to be honest, like I said, I was waiting for some crusty old Italian guy yeah. from New Haven smoking cigars, talking to us. You're not that guy. Yeah, well, I uh, to answer your question, I would say obviously, ultimately it's the guidance of the Holy Spirit in my life. I did grow up in a very strong Catholic, uh, Italian Catholic family in, in New York State. Um, and so the faith was very much part of our life, you know, whether that was watching EWTN Life on the Rock on Thursday nights or praying as a family, seeing the witness of my parents' marriage. Um, so the faith was part of the of my family, of my life growing up very much. But then, of course, it has to come to a part, part where you embrace it yourself. You really want to live it. And then there's a the next jump of, you know, almost make a vocation out of it. And for me, there's several, you know, powerful experiences. But a key one was World Youth Day. So I attended World Youth Day 2000. I was born 1980. So I was 20 years old in the year 2000. Of course, the great Jubilee year. World Youth Day, Tor Vergata outside Rome, one of the largest gatherings in human history where you had, I think it was two, three, maybe four million young people gathered there. Um, and that was transformational for me. I grew up in upstate New York, small town. Um, and I, I had a, so there I really got a tangible sense of the universal dimension of the Catholic faith. You're meeting young people from all over the world. And then I had a chance to see my childhood hero, uh, Pope John Paul II in person and to hear directly from him. And then I also went to World Youth Day 2002 in Toronto. And those were very formative, transformative experiences for me um, that really opened me up to, you know, how can I, how can I try to live this in my own life? How can I try to be part of the new evangelization? And combined with that, I always had an interest in history. So I studied history at Marist College and then I got a degree in international relations at BU. I was not really thinking necessarily media and wasn't really thinking about faith, uh, Catholic media. Um, but then I did an internship at the Holy See Mission to the UN in 2003-04. There I met a lot of young people who were working for Catholic media, a new TV station they were starting in Canada, Salt and Light. Wound up going there for an internship just for the summer to spend some time as I explored uh, where God was leading me. And I found my very much found my vocation there. So I spent five years in Toronto, Salt and Light Catholic TV, um, and just developed a real interest in documentary filmmaking, an interest in presenting the church's story, uh, passing on the baton of faith to the next generation. Because one of the things I feel very strongly, and it's not a unique insight, it's just anybody knows this who's Catholic, but our faith is 
of an oral history fact, right? So the first apostles, they told their followers and their followers told their followers and eventually gets written down. But, you know, passing that baton of faith on is very important through storytelling. And one of the great means of storytelling today is film, is documentary films, TV programs, and similar to what you guys are doing, media. And so um, I'm passionate about that. And I've had a great, some great opportunities to tell important stories. Um, of, of saints like John Paul II, Saint Faustina, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and now with Mother Teresa, one of my biggest projects, the most exciting projects, obviously. But, um, but that's a little bit about my background and how I came to where I am. And I joined the Knights in 2009 here in New Haven, headquarters of the Supreme Council, when they wanted to get more involved in video production. And I've been working with the Knights of Columbus ever since then. And I'm very grateful to the Knights that they see the importance of evangelization through culture and through through media, through film. Absolutely. And 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 the film that we're discussing now at the front line with Joe and Joe is Mother Teresa. No greater love. Dave, David Naglieri is the writer, director of that. So now you mentioned history, your love of history, your study of history. OK, so that takes you to a bunch of different places through books. OK, and in the classroom. But you shot this film across a number of continents okay uh yeah. just briefly how did you how did you decide on you most of the time people think of mother Teresa. they think okay she came to washington once and spent the rest of her time in india okay but you it doesn't just stop there so how did you how did you choose the locations where you were gonna where you're gonna shoot the film david yeah no it's great and and you know people always tell me i talk so fast but i like this because you talk about as fast as i do so this this is good we're Italian. What are you going to do? Your hands are flying, the whole deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's great. So, you know, when you get a new project, you have one of, when you first sit down, you got to make some key decisions on how we're going to tell the story. So, some of the first ones we made were what I didn't want to do is have an, a lot of my documentaries have a narrator, and the narrator has a certain place in film. There's nothing wrong with it. But I didn't want to have a narrator. I didn't want to have a, a kind of chronological, by the book, cookie cutter documentary. Mother Teresa was born on this day. Then on this day, she had a vision. On this day, she traveled to India. I wanted the film to, uh, to really be anchored and have a, have a framework of all the different works going on today. And so that you would see and you would feel uh, viscerally Mother Teresa's mission to serve the poorest of the poor and how it continues, how that mission continues, her legacy continues through the work of the missionaries of charity today. And so the film has her biography. We do it through flashbacks with dramatizations where you you learn about her life and the key moments in her life. It's all there. Um, but we really wanted to focus on the work today and inspire people by, by, by those visuals, those powerful visuals. Because honestly, I think you could learn much more about Mother Teresa and who she was by watching a missionary of charity bathe someone with leprosy or watch a missionary of charity feeding a little baby with hydrocephalus with these large swollen heads. Those images tell you who Mother Teresa is. And that, that's the gospel right there in my, in my mind. And I hope that, that comes to viewers. That's so, one of the things we were talking to Father Brian about, you know, in the last segment is that is that is that witness, which we're going to get we're going to get into. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. What do you think of Calcutta? I mean, I've been there six times. I've spent a good bit of time there. Uh, I'll tell you my first day working with the sisters. I get on the bus. I'm scared. I'm by myself. I'm going to the home for the death and the, you know, the dying and the destitute. There's this young girl from the South. Her name was Sarah. She wasn't even Catholic. We're going there and we get off the bus. We walk through crazy neighborhood. It's a red light district. Crazy, crazy. We get there and there's this Filthy is the only word I could use because I'm from New Jersey and that's the word I would use to describe it. Woman 
who's living outside the house. And this girl, Sarah, comes up to her because she knew her and hugs her and like meant it. I mean, this was not like for show. She knew her. And I was just like, what am I getting into here? My God, I'll never forget that image. I say that I'm sure that there were images in Calcutta that have struck you and seared into your mind because I have many of them. That's just one. How did the city impact you? Well, I have to be honest. So we what we did is we filmed in 10 different countries in many other cities for interviews. And we did uh, conducted 150 interviews and all the filming in about three months time. It probably should have taken one, two, maybe three years. The reason why we did it in such a frenetic pace is because we want to have it done for the anniversary. I'm married with three kids, had a pregnant wife at the time. So I was very limited in the travel that I could do. I would have loved to go to Calcutta. We actually did an 18 day filming in Calcutta because we wanted to document every aspect of our life. So many interviews to do. So unfortunately I did not get a chance to travel to, uh, to, to Calcutta, but talking to, obviously I was very in close contact, giving direction to my film crew, but talking to them, I think to one degree things have improved a little bit. So the situation Mother Teresa faced when she left the Loretto convent, 19, December of 1948, and she goes out into the streets following the World War II, the terrible famine that killed 3 million people, just the conditions. Um, there's been some improvements, so it's not quite as bad, but still there's a tremendous amount of poverty, and the, and the sisters are still going on the streets every single night, ministering to the people that are destitute on the ground, and this, their, their love is just, um, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's arresting, it's, it's convicting. Um, and that's what really struck people about Mother Teresa from the very beginning, because she would be there on the streets of Calcutta, the first person that she brings to this home to the dying that eventually becomes Kaligat. Um, and she's just pulling the maggots out of somebody who's going to die in a matter of minutes. And people thought she was insane. Why is she doing these things? And it was because she saw Jesus in the person. And it was because she wanted to give them a sense of dignity, a sense of God's love. And, and very much so comes through the film and comes through, you know, everybody we speak to. This is what the, this is the work the Mysteries of Charity continue to carry forward. So, so unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to Calcutta. I'd love to someday, but that's fascinating. You had a chance to be there and witness that. Yeah, I mean, the city is captivating, um, and, and there's so many layers to it. And like I said, there's been so many experiences that have, like, forever, I will never, ever forget. Um, you know, and, and to be truthful with you, one day you'll go. I bet you. I want to take – I have five children. Um, I'm a little older than you. You'll catch up. You'll probably <laughs> surpass me. Uh, what's it called? But one day I hope to bring my daughter before she goes to college. I want her to see that experience because I think it's very important. Um, this is something I want to bring out about Caligot. You mentioned it. I, I would work there uh, when I went there. Mother worked there for 17 years, unknown. That is not easy. That city, I'm a pretty healthy person. I'm not saying I'm an Olympian, but I'm in pretty good shape. And I've always been pre in pretty good shape. I would always get sick every single time I went to that city. Three weeks, I'd get sick. Yeah. She lived there for 17 years. No one knew who she was until Malcolm Muggeridge basically brought her into the world's eye through his story with Life magazine. Um, you know, clearly this is... A pivotal location for you. Why? Mother used they used to say this is her first love. That's what the sisters say about Caligat. Why did you focus on it? Yeah, well, that I think Caligat, as you mentioned, it's, it was her first love, and that was kind of the first definitive um, moment 
in the history of the missionaries of charity, in the sense that she has this vocation, this call from God to go in the darkest holes of the world, to quench Christ's thirst. She has to go through this, this whole maze of, of, of events to, to get the church's support to actually launch the missionaries of charity. And we focused that a little bit in the film. We couldn't do it, you know, complete justice, but it takes several years to get, get the approval of the archbishop, approval of the Vatican. And then she goes out and she starts walking in the streets following God's let let God lead her to what her mission is to be um, and then eventually she finds a dying person on the street um, and of course in, in India as you know you've spent time there there's the caste system so the lowest of the low there's not a sense of their dignity that, that was inherent in the culture and that was what she encountered and so it didn't make any sense what she was doing so she takes this destitute person um, pulling maggots out of their body, someone very close to death. She brings them to this location, which was uh, which was a Hindu temple to the goddess Kali. And that caused a lot of anger from the local officials because she was kind of desecrating a holy place. So we mentioned in the film, there's people that wanted to stone her. There's people that they're saying she's doing something that desecrates the Hindu religion. Um, and then it's almost kind of a humorous moment because uh, one of the police officers goes in, sees what she's doing, taking care of these dying peace people, the tremendous love, the care, the attention she's giving them. And the police officer goes back out to those who are complaining and says, um, if you can get your wives and get your mothers to do, the, to do this work, then I'll kick her out. And, and apparently that kind of uh, calmed things down and then eventually this becomes Kaligat, the home for the dead and the dying. And the work at Kaligat was the birth of, of a big part of their ministry that takes place in the more than 140 countries they're located in. And that is this ministry to the dead and the dying, giving them a, a sense of God's love for people that are homeless, who don't have families that love them. And it's just a very beautiful aspect of their ministry. So, um, and Kaligat ultimately is what grabs the attention of Mugridge, who you alluded to. He goes there, makes, of course, something beautiful for God, which is both a book and a documentary. Um, and that really puts Mother Teresa on the map. One of the things that I found very interesting, we talk about in the documentary, I didn't know going in, um, was that Mother Teresa was so resistant to publicity because you see her as this famous person. And so I, it was interesting to learn that she did not want to give the interview to Mugridge. She said no to him multiple times. Um, and ultimately, Mugridge went behind it, behind her back, got the Cardinal Archbishop in, in, in Great Britain to back him, go to the Vatican. And ultimately, it's the Vatican that told Mother Teresa, do this interview. So it just goes to show the tremendous humility of Mother Teresa. Thank you for that. David Naglieri is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, way in the breach. We're talking about David's new film. David is the writer, director of Mother Teresa, No Greater Love. Um, let me let me ask you this. Mother Teresa uh, is uh, right now there is a cause for her canonization. No, no, she's she's a saint. Oh, yeah, she, she's okay. I, I, I'm I'm sorry. She shows where my head's at. Sorry <laughs> about that. Uh, yeah. But but there, there. Tell our audience a story, David, um, because obviously you need to have confirmed miracles um, mm. to to as part of the cause for for um, to become a saint. Uh, talk about Marsilio. I, I thought uh, that's interesting. He's a Brazilian man. He was cured of uh, multiple brain tumors. Um, relay that story to our audience here. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one trip I was able to make. I had to kind of cherry pick what I could travel to because of the intensity of family life and everything else going on. But that was one I wanted to go to. So I had a chance to spend a week in Rio de Janeiro where we filmed with Marcelio. And I'll just say this before I get into Marcelio. It was interesting. Um, little behind the scenes and making the documentary. So we filmed in the favelas. Those are the, the slums in Rio de Janeiro. We also filmed these areas called Crack, Crackolandia or Crackland. And this is uh, near the train tracks outside Rio de Janeiro, 
where drug dealers sell drugs and drug addicts live just basically an object squalor. They're homeless. And these people live in such a destitute situation. They're not even allowed into the slums. These, all these areas are controlled by drug lords. And so we had to figure out safety and security. It's a very dangerous areas. And so that as you may be aware in the favelas, the cops don't even go in. Um, so typically I'm responsible for the safety of my film crews. So we wanted to potentially bring security in, but you can't bring security there. If you brought security there, that would be a breach and there could potentially be gunfire. Gun in fact, one of the places we filmed that, there was a shootout with the cops a few hours before we had to delay filming. It's, it's a wild scene there. But the point is, which I found really interesting is just the love and the trust that the people have for Mother Teresa and the missionaries of charity. Um, and I even counted that everywhere because typically when you're filming with like homeless people, uh, people on the streets, there's a certain distrust for cameras. They'll shy away from it. Um, but with the missionaries of charity, there's that sense of trust. So we actually had to make a deal. Missionaries of charity sat down with these drug lords. They said, the crew is going to be coming at these times. Can you put away your weapons? Can you stand down? And they did that. So when all those moments in the film, when we're filming these locations, we had like these agreements in place where the missionaries of charity uh, because of the love and the trust they have, they engender in everyone, including the drug lords, it allowed this film to go forward. So just a little anecdote from the filming process. But to your question, so Marsilio was a uh, Brazilian engineer. Um, he started experiencing swelling in his brain. And so he's developed this terrible swelling, a lot of symptoms that came out of this. He wound up getting married in, I believe, 2008. And shortly after his marriage, he, he has a tremendous swelling in his brain and abscesses. Uh, which put him in a situation where he's in the emergency room needing surgery to relieve the pressure on his brain. Um, that surgery easily could lead to death. It was a very uncertain situation. And based on the number of abscesses in the brain, uh, it, it, it looked like a hopeless situation. Um, he and his wife, uh, Ferdinanda, a wonderful woman, they had a parish priest who knew about Mother Teresa, who had a devotion to Mother Teresa and had a relic. Um, and he said, pray to Mother Teresa. She helped the poor and she can help you too. So that night before the surgery, um, the wife put the relic onto um, Marcelio's head and prayed uh, for the intercession of Mother Teresa to take away that swelling. Um, he was to have the surgery the next morning. And uh, when, when he wakes up, his eyes open up, the swelling had all gone down. And over the period of days, the, the abscesses completely, completely disappeared. And there was simply no medical explanation for it all. So very powerful story. And the nice, nice thing too, is they struggled with infertility because of the brain issue he had. He had to go on very special medication. Uh, the doctor said, this will render you infertile. You will not be able to have children. Um, so after the healing, they continued to pray to Mother Teresa that they could have children. And uh, by the grace of God, and perhaps with the intercession of Mother Teresa, they were able to conceive and now have three children. And it was wonderful spending time with he and his wife and meet their children. And we filmed them, the kids playing soccer with the missionaries of charity. And uh, it's a very beautiful story. And they were present in 2016 for the canonization in Rome. And, uh, and so, yeah, very beautiful story witnessed uh, the, the intercession of Mother Teresa. And I'll say this, having done the filming, talked to many missionaries of charity, there's incredible amounts of miracles that continue to happen. And these don't get reported. These are not needed for any canonization, so there's no in-depth investigation. But the words they continue to get are tremendous amount of miracles intercession. So for all your listeners, if you have a need, if you have something that you're, you know, you need intercessor for, turn to Mother Teresa. Amen. Thank you for that, David. Yeah, thank you. That, that, that's a phenomenal story. I love it. Uh, Joe Resinello. 
David, I want to comment on something you said because it jumped out at me because I think it's a reality. Um, you talked about going to Brazil, to Rio de Janeiro. I've been to Rio um, and it is a violent place. It's beautiful, stunning, but there is real violence there, real deal. You're, yeah. And you talked about how the love that you know, the MC sisters basically give to people just disarm the most violent people. I have seen this firsthand in working with the sisters myself. Just recently, um, it was Mother Teresa's feast day. We, my family, I, uh, I have five children, young. We went to Newark um, to their soup kitchen. It's not Rio, but I'll tell you what, Newark, New Jersey is no joke. I mean, there's not exactly, that is not exactly like uh first communicants all praying a rosary uh, every day, you know, and the respect that people showed me and my wife and kids. Also at the mass, the street people came in. And I mean, these are some rough looking people. Like if you were walking down a dark street, you would be afraid. They're at the mass because the sisters are good to them. It says something about us. We should be as good. They see Christ in them. The character of the poor is all over this film. How did they impact you? Because they've impacted me in my work with the sisters. I've gone places and done things I never thought I could or possibly do. And you've gotten a slice of that doing this film. How did that impact you? I'm sure it did. Yeah, I think many ways. And I think because I spent an intense year working on this film, probably as I reflect more over the coming months or years, I'll probably think of many ways that I was impacted by this film. But I'll, I'll, there's one for sure I can tell you. I can tell you. I think, um, I think obviously we live in a time of great division, right? There's division in, in, in the church. There's division in society. And I think one of the reasons for the division ultimately is, is, is where do you fall on that line where on one side it's justice, on the other side it's mercy. On one side it's truth, on the other side it's love, right? If you actually boil down a lot of the dis disagreements um, and, and the strife that exists, a lot of it is there. And I think in Mother Teresa, if you're a Catholic, if you're coming from the perspective of I'm, I'm, I'm a, a Catholic who lives wants to live their faith, Mother Teresa, I think, provides the perfect model of that perfect balance between love and mercy tr and truth and justice because um take for example 1979 she gets up for the nobel peace prize and what does she say with tremendous courage and backbone she she says i think the poorest nations are those that that legalize abortion and i think abortion is the greatest destroyer of peace today that took a lot of courage and she would com consistently speak on, on that issue so she she was not afraid to speak the truth. She had courage, right? By the same token, she was this perfect um, embodiment of the gospel of God's mercy. So when she would sit down with someone who was uh, caught up in, in, in a life of drugs or any other kind of sinful aspect in their life or struggling with anything, what they encountered with her was this complete love and non-judgmental nature. And that is what opened up this flow of graces that would go into people. So in the documentary, we, we spent time telling the story of Jim Wahlberg, the older brother of Mark, who was in prison, doing a nine-year prison sentence. And Mother Teresa comes, and he, for him, God was always this guy out to get you and throw you in hell or, you know, 
beat down on you. And in Mother Teresa, he experienced the loving mercy of God. And ultimately, he becomes a man of great faith. And now is a, a prominent Catholic speaker, evangelist, and it all traces back to Mother Teresa. But what was it? It was this non-judgmental aspect of her personality and completely uh, embracing and showing God's love and mercy. So for me, I think in my own life, with whatever I encounter in terms of what I've referred to, um, disputes, or strife or disagreements, um, it's to always try to find that nice, that balance. And so I think that's something I took away. I think others will take away that too. But for everybody, because the film has so many quotes from Mother Teresa and um, has her speaking and sharing her faith, uh, you'll, you'll take away something else because she was one of the great saints in history. Um, and she had the light the light of Christ that shone through her and that hopefully that comes through the film. And when that happens, it could really touch people's hearts. The film's outstanding. Honest to God. I'm not even just saying it. I, uh, your publicist in Atlanta, <laughs> let me see it. And uh, it's phenomenal. I Thank encourage you. everyone to watch it. It's not a joke. It, like, and I, like I said, I know the sisters. I work with them for seven years. I've been to India. It's the real deal. You really captured it. And I'm not, I'm being objective. David Aguilar, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, the writer director of Mother Teresa, No Greater Love. I'm I'm a film guy. Uh, in a, in a in a prior life, I was an actor. Okay, that was my aspiration back in the '90s. Um, yeah. and I love movies. Great. Obviously, you know, being a practicing Catholic, um, there's not a lot of friendly movies out there for mm -hmm. us. And I'm not saying everything's got to be a Norman Rockwell painting. Don't yeah, get me yeah. wrong. Okay. Yeah. We understand as Catholics, we understand the grittiness of life. Okay. Yeah. Where yeah. do you see in the last couple minutes we have together here at the front line with Joe and Joe, where do you see Catholic filmmaking, particularly in America going both on the documentary end and um, on the feature film end? Um, do you see us maybe penetrating a little bit more? Because quite frankly, most Christian movies are sappy. You know, especially on the dramatic end, um, you're making documentaries. Can you comment on that a little bit or maybe maybe inspire those out there who are in, who are thinking about going to film school or learning more about film? How do we bring the Catholic faith out there, as you mentioned earlier, either through documentary or feature films? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I don't profess to be an expert in that area. Um, and I think it's worthy of a much longer conversation with people a lot smarter than me, but I think it's a great question. And it's something I do think about. So uh, my, my couple of thoughts that where I come from, um, obviously I do documentaries. I, I, I don't do feature films with drama and acting. So in the documentary space, the standards I try to uphold is I try to, I try to aim towards producing something that on a production level, on a storytelling level, on a quality level is right there with an ESPN 30 for 30, a Netflix documentary, an HBO documentary. Um, and, and the reasons for doing that is not pride. It's just, I do believe that the public, the general public, the average Joe out there, um, when they're making a decision on what to watch, um, they will judge you on that quality. They will, and, 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 they, and, and I think the quality also relates to authenticity. And, um, and if they see something that's clearly subpar, they'll write it off. Oh, that's a churchy program. So, so and I think, um, so that, that's my perspective. And, 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 and I've talked to the people and I think that has a lot of validity. So for anybody striving in the documentary realm, I would, would say the same thing. And then to your word, that was a good word, sappy. I tend to use word the more cheesy, but same, same concept. I think yeah. sometimes Christian movies, the acting is a little wooden, the dialogue is a little forced, uh, it's contrived plot lines. Um, and some of these films, even in the evangelical space, can have some success, 
but I don't think it does overall, it, it's good for the cause, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I feel encouraged. I think there's good films in the, on the horizon. Um, my friend, a uh, friend in Hollywood, TJ Burden did Paul Apostle of Christ. I thought that was an excellent movie. Really good movie. David, and Father Stu. Yeah. And I was going to say, Paul Apostle Christ, Father Stu, those yeah. are good examples of the kinds of uh, movies we should be making outside of documentary movies. David Naglieri, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Quickly, uh, the, the name of the movie and when it's coming out and where people could, uh, could see it. Yeah, thanks so much for this interview. Uh, so the film is Mother Teresa No Greater Love. The website is MotherTeresaMovie.com. That's MotherTeresaMovie.com. You can click and get tickets. You can put in your zip code to find out if it's playing in a theater near you. We're approaching, we're closing in on a thousand theaters across the country, two nights, October 3rd and 4th. So please come out and support the film. We we'll really appreciate it. Absolutely. David Naglieri, thank you for joining us here at the Frontline with Joe and Joe. Thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Um, And we're definitely going to have David back because this was a great conversation. And he's a paisan, which doesn't hurt either. So, David, thanks again. And remember right there that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.